Hello everybody and welcome to the Technical Area, your weekly football manager podcast brought to you by me, your host, Gaffer Graymo, once again. I suppose there's no better place to start than this right now. And that is a very, very simple fact that hopefully my audio sounds much, much clearer than it has done. Not just in the last episode, but suppose the last 21 and even back into the FM notebook days. So, as I did allude to over the past couple of weeks, there were issues with the microphone. I think the microphone was it was a very, very, very budget-friendly option initially when I bought it. it was more for hobbying. It wasn't exactly, you know, the best microphone I could have bought at the time. But when you're only starting, you're only dabbling in these things, you know, you have to see if the love is there. And then, as the time goes on, if the commitment is still there, you can start to invest a little bit more into uh, the equipment that you've picked up. So. Hopefully, with this new microphone, um, just like that, I actually sound better. And hopefully, the standard of the podcast will actually improve alongside um, the standard of the audio recording. I do want to say a big thank you to everybody out there who suggested microphones, who sent me links. Some of the options were quite uh, tempting, to say the least. But, you know, just... Uh, price just wasn't right on them at the you know they're kind of the, the next stage that hopefully you know if the podcast keeps going in the future and time comes to upgrade the audio again hopefully it'll have a something there something a little bit more professional but for the time being i'll be sticking with my uh, blue snowball until you know the days there so this is episode 22 and it's it's you know, it's another one of these manager and focus episodes. The last manager and focus episode I did was on Chris Wilder. I think it could have even been just before Christmas or around Christmas time. But it was a, you know, obviously the praise that Sheffield United had been getting at the time. It was the, you know, I felt it was the right thing to do. And, you know, keeping alongside these kind of managers who've taken smaller teams and starting to do big things with them. Atalanta and Giampiero Gasparini is you know the manager and focus in question so we will dive into that quite promptly just go through the, the usual look in terms of the save update i'm not going to give you on season two it's just in the bag i've just let the blog post out of the bag yeah so i published it everything's done there yesterday that's a thursday the 23rd of april so you know if you haven't checked that out there should be a link down below to my socials and you'll be able to find it there or even the blog straight away. But season two is done. Um, the champagne came out. That's all I'm going to say. So uh, in terms of. Uh, save update. I'm not sure. A bit of planning. A bit of preparation. Going to be done over the next couple of nights or so. Just before we get stuck into season three. With Ren. In other. You know, I suppose FM save update news. That's been out there. I suppose the FM kind of EFL trophy. Has something that's kind of gotten a lot of attention in the past week and you know given the lack of live football at the minute it's great to see that the um the love for football manager has been shared as well after seeing you know the there's the e premier league trophy that's currently going on with fifa it's nice to see football manager getting a little bit of a you know love from these big organizations to try and fill the void um that you know football is leaving in all of our lives that the lack of live football so in terms of, you know, I think it's great. It's a great idea. It's great to see. Obviously, there's a lot of disappointment out there for some people who, you know, 
big fans of clubs and you know never got the opportunity to manage them have are unsuccessful and it's a case of for once you're actually your clubs were looking for you to send in your cvs based on your fm achievements but and i'm sure those people are disappointed it's like anyone naturally would be but it's great to see you know fans players members of staff all getting involved and just enjoying football manager so the content is good it's nice just to see these things keep an eye on them and all that so hopefully now yeah we'll have, have a big finale hopefully it'll go down well with the broader footballing world and you might see it step up away from just even the EFL trophy to, you know, uh, Champions League, maybe. Clubs getting involved there with their esports teams, who knows. Now, um, like I did say at the start of the pod, top of the pod, you know, we're, we're dedicating a whole episode here to Jean-Pierre Gasparini and Atalanta. And a big reason why I chose kind of this topic is, you know, Atalanta would be a club not many people would be expecting to see, you know, challenging for Champions League places I suppose in Italy never mind Europa League and European places so with a small club finding themselves in the Champions League and out punching much better resource and well respected clubs across the continent and across the globe I think it's really you know only fair to give them the the, the time the focus and just see you know what are they doing that maybe we can adapt to ourselves and football manager so obviously to talk a lot of content this week, it's going to be very f- heavily focused on what is out there in the real world, what we see in the real world with Atalanta. But I've tried my best to, you know, tailor the information I've gotten and, you know, to, into a, a manner which could be easily adapted into Football Manager. So as I sit here now in my Atalanta t-shirt, I suppose it's time to begin. And for those of you unfamiliar with the club, Unfamiliar to manager, I suppose they're the, the best place to start to build up a profile of Atalanta and to build up a profile of Gasparini. So over the past number of seasons, the profile of Atalanta has undoubtedly been raised. And their exploits this season, to date, have certainly earned them fans and plaudits from all across Europe. Based in the city of Bergamo, 40 miles outside of Milan, or if you're flying with Ryanair, you're landing at Milan, Bergamo. There's plenty of competition for a footballing pedigree especially when you share the same club colours as one of your biggest rivals, Internazionale, Inter Milan. Atalanta have developed a reputation, very deservedly as well, for producing a high number of talented young players. And when added to their modest financial situation and stature within the Italian game, the king of the provincials, as they're known, should not be competing for the Champions League, instead meeting the traditional expectations of surviving comfortably with a relegation battle, relegation here and there, maybe, in the course of several seasons. Instead, what we've seen from Atalanta is that they've made the last eve of the debut Champions League season. They've scored eight times against Valencia in the first knockout round, four at home and four away. And they've scored seven on three occasions in Serie A this season as well. Only two other clubs from smaller towns have gone further than Atalanta in the Champions League. The 2005-06 semi-finalists Villarreal and the 2003-04 finalists Monaco. Though I suppose given Monaco's significant financial muscle and their financial situation, some may discount their achievement or count it as a, you know, put a little asterisk beside it because of the fact that Villarreal and Atalanta's achievement have come with a much more modest background, not just in terms of the size of where they come from, 
but this you know the strength of the backing behind them the icing as well on the cake for atalanta's rise like i said is that their wage budget and their finances are so meager atalanta's wage budget is 13th highest in syria around 40 million dollars annual um annually paid on wages and that's roughly what Cristiano Ronaldo earns in six months. So it's very, very easy to see why Atalanta are quickly becoming many people's, you know, favourite kind of side in Italy. Kind of that second favourite team. Just someone totally different to watch. But all this rise, this huge uh, amount of progress, this huge rise in reputation has come under the stewardship of Gian Piero Gasparini. And Gasparini is the man steering Atlantis, this Atlantis ship into the uncharted waters. At the age of 61, he has a very, very storied past behind him in football. After coming through the youth setup at Juventus, Gasparini went on to have a kind of a modest playing career. Predominantly playing outside of Syria, Gasparini returned to Juventus to begin his coaching career at the youth sides in 1994, remaining at the club until 2003, before taking the leap and beginning his senior management career. Gasparini has had much admiration of his playing philosophy throughout his management career for his commitment to playing a high-pressing and energetic game, a style that was quite uncommon in Italy when we first began in the dugout. Respectable finishes with Genoa, uh, recruitment of players in need of some revitalisation, such as Thiago Motta before he made the move to Inter Milan, and his own interpretation of a 3-4-3 system have kept the plaudits coming in for Gasparini across the footballing spectrum from fans, fellow managers and players who've all played underneath him. Now, Gasparini has moved around many clubs in Italy and these moves with other clubs have not been as you know notably successful, especially when he followed Rafa Benitez into uh, Inter Milan, which was quite a brief period um, for, the, for both parties. However, a return to Genoa revitalised Gasparini's stock before their moves to rejuvenate the club with younger staff saw Gasparini sign a pre-contract with Atalanta to become their new manager from the 2016-17 season. What is notable, though, is his replacement at Genoa also preached from the same hymn book as Gasparini. Preached that same style of intense pressing football, something which he has become synonymous with. So delving into a little bit more detail, we're going to talk about Atlanta Atalanta from across looking at their tactical style through the different phases of like an overall defensive and attacking kind of a little note to the management style and how he's approached the task uh, Gasparini's approached the task and then the transfer history and you know the current standout performers at the club just to see you know how Gasparini has just gone about making such um, a massive success out of you know such an unfavoured position and that's obviously a lot of things uh, a lot of uh, motivation for many football manager players we want to take these unfavoured clubs and turn them into successful big clubs clubs you know that are competing with the best and can, you don't have to go very far you just have to look at screenshots from twitter to see you know people taking the doing these lower league taking lower league clubs or local clubs and trying to rise to the top so Adelante, i suppose are just a real life example of what we're about to see of what we sorry of all of what we see in football manager. So let's have a little chat about how they just go about it. So in terms of overall tactical style, like I said already, it's Gasparini's interpretation of a three four three, which many people kind of view as a, a skewed formation. 
So what I mean by skewed is this formation can alter. It's generally based on a back four, or sorry, back three, uh, a four kind of four man kind of midfield, two wing backs flanking two central midfielders, and then it's the front where things change. That front three, it can either be two a two one or a one two, depending on the opposition uh, and the personnel available to Gasparini at the time. So in terms of what Gasparini looks for in these players. Just three standard central defenders. Two centre midfielders who kind of are real hardcore centre midfielders. Box to box, full of energy. Midfielders capable of contributing to the game in all aspects of, you know, defensive and attacking duties. Two wing backs to flank them or needs to be energetic and he wants energetic wing backs. Flanking these centre midfielders and stretching the opposition defence, making the pitch seem as wide as possible one striker even if it's in the two structure one striker is designated as the focal point you're kind of your archetypal target man the one player up front that these direct passes a direct pass forward can then be directed in this one place and then for the football can build around him that's one you know style of play we can see because paired with this striker we can often see a roaming forward a supporting striker Someone there, you know, to, to busy about alongside the focal point to pop up and move and to give the opposition defence something to think about and to monitor. And then linking the attack in midfield is a dynamic and incessant attacking midfielder. Someone who is kind of capable of, you know, being that creative hook in the final third. The creative hook in linking together the whole team, bringing everything together. So it's a big demand on the player that plays here. You're looking for someone very, very creative. And Gasparini has done just that. But his style takes inspiration from the past. So as we've seen Italian football kind of modernised, calcio modernised. It's in, it's interesting to see that uh, there are some elements to Arrigo Sacchi's style uh, of play with Gasparini. So as we all know, Sacchi, Sacchi he preferred um, a high-pressing kind of system. And for those of you who might be familiar with bringing the noise to the Jurgen Klopp book, um, I think it's Rafa Honigstein, he, he speaks about how when Klopp was at Mainz, the Mainz manager loved what Saki was doing. And then when the Mainz manager was sacked, Klopp was asked to take over because he understood how the manager was trying to you know, adapt Saki's style. So it's possibly it's a case of, like we've seen, Saki has this high-pressing style Brought huge success at AC Milan and, you know, has permeated all across football. And we even see elements of that now, even in Gasparini's style today. And it is still bringing success. This aggressive pressing style, especially when it's linked with the number of high recoveries, a number of recoveries that Atalanta make high up the pitch, have given them the basis for their success, has contributed massively to their prolificacy in front of goal. Like we said already, scoring eight in their first Champions League um, knockouts over two legs, four in each game, scoring seven three times uh, in Serie A already this season. It shows that this there is an aggressive style and it's the fact that they press so high up the pitch and they're successful in pressing so high up the pitch. This really, really has assisted their, you know, like that, the number of goals are scoring. And I suppose if if you are looking for 
elements of this in Football Manager, the training ground is possibly the best place to start. Starting with the um, defending from the front and the transition press training modules certainly would help you, you know, develop this kind of style on the training ground to bring into your tactics and into your side as well. As, you know, Gasparini himself has said, the credit for all of this, he says, goes to his players who fully embraced the ideas of their coach and the club to work all on the same page. Every game is different, but we always believe in our approach, no matter who we are up against or the difficulties we are facing. That's something I really admire. A couple of years ago, I managed Rio Vallecano on Football Manager, Football Manager 18, I think it was. And I tried to take some elements of the uh, Paco Jamez approach to managing Rio Vallecano. And the big reason behind that was they were beaten 10-2, was it, in La Liga under Jamez. And he said, I could have changed my style. I could have been more defensive. We could have tried to limit the, sp- the space. But that's not my philosophy. I would rather lose 10-2 playing my way than, you know, win playing a different style. And I really, really admire this about Atalanta. I have a huge amount of admiration for them. Because like that, every game is different, but we always believe in our approach, no matter who we are up against. And I think that's something every football manager player could take into account. I'm managing Ren every year. I've gotten stuck against Paris Saint-Germain. I've beaten Paris Saint-Germain in Europe in previous versions, previous saves on Football Manager across the last couple of years. But domestically, with San Etienne last year, and now with um, Ren, I struggled just to get a result against them. I looked at the wages of these players, of, you know, these PSG players, just to see. Neymar earns €700,000 per week in my save. My weekly wage budget is 760000 So obviously, just like Atalanta, I have these mo- modest resources behind me. Despite the fact that Rennes would be considered a rich club in French terms. But we are rather modest when compared to you know, the clubs we want to ultimately compete against. So when I go into these games, you know, I, I I try to adopt this philosophy, this mindset of, look, I don't care. We're going to play this game our way, regardless of what the scoreline is. And I fully admire Gasparini, the players he's assembled at Atalanta, the culture there, and that this is how they approach matches. So in terms of the approach, let's just get down to the minute details, I suppose it's the best chance. It's uh, the best, sorry, the best opportunity you know, just to get you know involved. This so defensively, what is the style? What is the approach we have at Atalanta? Well, Atalanta revived a traditional man marking system, a system that is flexible to monitor roaming strikers. We all know there's a significant number of cr- critics. There's a significant amount of criticism from analysts and pundits alike on zonal marking in football, and you know. You can understand like they're able to highlight um, moments or able to highlight situations where zonal marking doesn't work. But like the same again, it could be said about man marking. Players 
who aren't natural at man marking. Man marking cause an awful lot of confusion and create um you know matchups that you know are unfavorable. So you know like like anything, it can be spun either way in terms of what school of thought you're in. But at Atlanta, their whole style of play revolves on a, fl- a flexible man-marking system. And this is flexible to monitor the movement of the opposition players. There's a fluidity, a fluid structure to this side, where, where out-of-the-zone marking can often be seen as well. So what I mean by out-of-the-zone is it wouldn't be unusual to see a wide central defender pressing a wandering striker in unexpected positions high up the pitch. And one of the reasons to open up a wide central defender is what happens at Atalanta is the forwards and the wing backs, they press high. They they are the key players in the press. While the central players are tasked with tracking players flexibly. So often that can involve with like I said a wide central defender pushing up the pitch. Or you know, you could often see like that if players are moving side to side, there is the communication there to pass on, as many of us would have learned playing football as a kid, playing Sunday league football, what schoolboy football, whatever it was, that you knew to pass that man on across the line if you moved across the line. The Atalanta defensive system is an industrious one. Every outfield player is assigned an opponent. They are allowed to follow him outside of his position. Like those wide central defenders, but like that, if it's that's in terms of verticality, if a player kind of moves horizontally across the pitch, they will pass him on, um, pass him on, what, um, would like so like that focusing on, um, it's kind of a case of, of a press vertically, but a willingness to to move across horizontally across a back line. How are you implementing that in football manager? I'm not exactly sure. You know, if you ask a central defender to man mark, you know, a certain player, a certain position, and that player wanders, switches wings, all of a sudden it could put your team into a, a kind of a, you know, a situation where you're in disarray defensively, your, your structure and your shape is gone. So how you implement that in football manager? I'm not 100% sure. Maybe you have your own ideas. Feel free to share them, tweet them. We can have a discussion after the podcast who knows defensively then as i said because there's a press all across the team and like i said pressing can begin at the front the the front three are always involved in the defensive process at atalanta so what they do is they press the opposition defense so what happens is if the, the strikers and the inside forward is roaming forward they will target the central defenders one will press the player with the ball, and one will press kind of zonally the other player, the other central defender, if it's a back four. And the reason he'll just press the zone is just to have his, you know, his presence felt that the passing option is not there. With wing backs, then they will press the flanks. Like I said, central midfielders, they've been like, given in every player's given a player to mark on the opposition. So the central midfielders will press their counterparts. And the whole kind of system is designed to be pressed aggressively and intensely to unsettle the opposition. To force the opposition into hasty build-up play. And to increase the opportunity to intercept and counter. And given the attacking 
structure, which we'll speak about now in a couple of months, you can see how the whole team is set up then to capitalise on these situations, to play this high-octane rock and roll football, but with this sense of Italian control that's always there. When Atalanta play with two supporting players, you know, in a 3-4-2-1, it creates a square midfield with the central midfielders behind. And what Gasparini wants from that square midfield means that any opponent who gains possession of the ball centrally will have two Atalanta players behind and two Atalanta Atalanta players in front of him. So all of a sudden he finds himself in a square with four opposition players surrounding him. And that gives Atalanta the opportunity to defend centrally with numerical superiority. So for all those people who look at Atalanta and say they're changing Italian football through their, you know, high-scoring, high-octane matches, there is this sense of Italian structure, mentality, and organisation there in defence that gives them this strength and spine all the way through. Is it perfect? No. But Atalanta have this solid structure there that allows them to turn defence into attack through this high octane, aggressive, intense pressing. So when they get the ball, Atalanta, when they're in an attacking phase, what structures, what philosophy, what way do they go about this? And I did get a question from Matt Jenkins at underscore J underscore Matthew. What has Gasparini done to get the most from Ilicic or any of the attackers, really, because they're firing on all cylinders? Well, let's get into it. What do Atalanta do to get the most out of these attackers? Well, Atalanta, traditionally, normally, they favour this horizontal passing system under Gasparini, side to side and using the full width of the pitch to create cracks in the opposition. Now, obviously, side to side, football, you know, just moving the ball about. You know, it can drive a lot of people mad. It can be frustrating to watch, but it's done purposefully. It's probing. It's just trying to, you know, draw that one player out. And once they draw that one player out, diagonal passing, direct running will be used then to exploit these channels that they open up through this patient possession passing uh, passing style. Either wing back is then used, or clever combination play. From four central, the, the kind of square midfielders. This is then the, you know, the, the crux of the attack. This is the focal point. The attack is built out of, you know, direct running, like I said, from the wing backs, or, you know, clever play from uh, a good quality force, technically good quality for central midfielders. This counter attack then, uh, we, we said that the pressing can often cause. They will target Ilicic for our direct long balls. Ilicic is the forward they prefer uh, currently as this central target man. So they'll target Ilicic with direct long balls, but then the supporting cast playing off the striker, especially that roaming forward. So like the like the uh, possession orientation, they will attack with swift passing and direct running. And this direct coming coming from the front seven so the only kind of players not totally getting involved 
in the attacking phase is the three central defenders and the goalkeeper, which is phenomenal to think of an attack with seven players pushing forward. Seven players who all know what their job and what their roles are in kind of each of these situations. And with this front seven, it creates an overload. Creates an overload in all areas across the pitch. Through movement, direct running, and like this, just the horizontal passing, probing as they move and push further and further. And they're not afraid to take risks. Atalanta average, an Atalanta match averages 4.2 goals per game. That's for and against. And I suppose, like I said, the four goals racked up against, four goals racked up against Valencia twice, home and away. The seven goals three times in Serie A that I've already mentioned. There also was a three-all draw there thrown in with Lazio. Where in the first half, they smothered Lazio offensively. In the second half, Lazio got opportunities. And suddenly, a game that was very much going one way, Lazio were able to find and exploit um, little gaps in the Atalanta system. Like I said, their defensive system is not perfect. But the thing is, because Atalanta attack and commit themselves with such, you know, uh, like again, the word going back to aggressiveness, this passionate seven man, seven men running towards you after they win the ball back, after being pressing you intensely just to get the ball off you. Italian sides have shown they just cannot cope with their intensity and the pressure in these attacking phases. And I suppose even in the Champions League, we have to admire the way they approached every game. Looks like they didn't get off to the best of starts. Like very, like very, very much humbled against Dinamo Zagreb away. But as we saw them grow through the group stages, it was like people were saying that it wasn't just Italian teams who are going to struggle with the intensity of the Atalanta play. That they've now taken it to a level that Europe's elite in Europe's in the Champions League cannot cope. We saw glimpses of this in the past in the Europa League. Kind of the first kind of Atalanta team with Gasparini when they uh, you know, bet Everton quite comfortably. And then we're seeing them doing it on the, the most elite stage in Europe. It's phenomenal. And it's all under the tutelage of Gasparini. And it's done in a very, very structured way defensively. But just total chaos going forward. And that's really, really something I admire. And it's something that, you know, with my own save, I'm going to try and see, well, is there a way I can bring some elements of what Atalanta do to one of my tactical systems? Even if it's, even if I try and copy this 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2 system, I'm not sure yet. I'll have to wait and see. I've got pre-season to experiment coming up soon. But the management style of Gasparini is also something that's, you know, to be plauded. You know, although he has a desired playing style, this overarching philosophy, like the system's fluid. The system is open to change. But I play 3-4-2-1, 3-4-1-2. What way is this attack structured? And, you know, he has readjusted. He lost Duvan Zapata. Duvan Zapata, who came in from Sampdoria, and, you know, was very, very, very good for Atalanta. Picked up an injury and has been unavailable for a significant period of time. But, you know, this injury allowed Gasparini to reshape the attack. That alongside Lucas Muriel, um, 
we've seen uh, Mario Palisic and Ruslan Malinovsky, you know, applied as twin supports, operating on the left and right, respectively. So there is options there. There is a squad built by Casparini that there is depth. That Zapta is not available. You know, Muriel has been there. And like I said, Ilicic. Ilicic, who's been phenomenal this season. It's a case of adapting to the situation and finding, identifying and bringing in the uh, the right players to support that front striker and play in the system. Because in terms of the transfer history then of Atlanta, the transfer policy they've had, they've have a, they've a very, very clear picture of what they want to do, a very, very clear vision of the players they want to bring in and what the expectations are of these players. They've identified and targeted players who will come in and fit into their defined style. Atalanta's squad is also a squad that's older than the average in Italy. But the idea is to enhance the strong pedigree they have at youth production. They seek and target well-valued veterans from other clubs to come in and give the side maturity, to give the side leadership and experience, something that every young squad and every young player needs. That these players will act as role models, tutors, mentors, to the younger players. And that's something we can all do. So easily in football manager. Ha- making sure we have these kind of. Older more experienced statesmen. In our squads. That we know. Will set the standard. And will fit the style. And we're not paying through. You know the teeth for. Players who come in. And will work for us. And help us. To develop the squad. And com- complete the vision. That we have in mind for our sides. Transfers out have proved to be a lucrative way as well in financially, you know, strengthening the club as well. The development of the club has come through, you know, the success of being willing to allow players to go and negotiating a very, very strong fee. A, a fee that work, that certainly benefits Atalanta in kind, especially considering the meagre resources they, they do operate with. Now, Obviously, some of these transfers out have not reached the standards they have at Atalanta. You know, some you know there's a label being used in Italy that refers to them as Gasparini system players. But I think that could be said for anybody. For a lot of players, it's just the fact that Atalanta plays so high octane going forward. If a player moves to a similar club in Italy, that the approach isn't there. That although elements of the structure, elements of the press, elements of the attack and the defence may be there. Learning the new system, you know, does take a little bit of time to adapt to. And something I don't think that's present in football anymore is patience. Mattia Caldara is one of those players. If you've managed AC Milan or played against AC Milan, a football manager in recent years, you'll know he's a very, very, very good player. Milan signed him from Atalanta, but has re- but you know, in the last season, we've seen Caldara return to Atalanta on loan from Milan, where he has kicked on and shown his quality yet again. But Caldara isn't the only kind of standout performer that's still at the club. Paul Gomez is someone I heard recently on Zonal Marketing, the Athletics podcast. There was an episode recently that spoke a lot about Atalanta. Where you know I did get some of the information I'm using sharing here with you from, 
but there was an uh, episode and these and James Horncastle was on and he spoke about Paul Gomez. Paul Gomez is not a player we've heard before, was familiar with before. But after hearing this story, he's a player I really, really admire. So Paul Gomez is this um is a readjusted wide player to a central player, often playing in that um creative hook role in the Gasparini system. And to help him readjust from playing out wide, he's playing centrally. What Gomez does has and has taught himself and he he's quite open about is he positions himself close to the referee to assist his readjustment. And the idea is that he the belief is and the knowledge is the referee must be in the best position in the game. He has to be in the centre of everything. So if I know if I follow the referee around, then I will always be in the best position in the game. And I think that's that's just genius. It's a really kind of real street smart way of playing football. And like I suppose it's something we should expect considering, you know, Gomez is of Argentinian origin and for those of you familiar with, you know, the development of Argentinian footballers over time, street smarts is something that they, a lot of players develop from you know, playing on the streets as kids. And the thing about Paul Gomez, a lot of people have to remember, is he is smaller than Lionel Messi. And at the age of 29, received his first Argentinian caps. So it's a case of the... He's showing that, you know, at the age of 29, readjusting and relearning his game, it's received international plaudits. Showing the success of the Gasparini system, the Gasparini coaching. That a player 29 at Atlanta is getting capped for Argentina. And that's, you know, really an admirable, I suppose, aspect of the attitudes, the mentalities of everyone associated with the club. And then attacking sense was Ilicic, Muriel and Zapata would be some of the big names we'd all think of. Ilicic and Muriel were as prolific as Ronaldo and Dybala last season. They're the focal points of the attack. They take up the central target role. And, you know, the roaming inside forward to drift about the pitch. They're hard-working players. They're willing to commit to the high press. And by pressing well as a team, this can get them into favourable positions very easily as they work as this unit, as this group. Their passing and build-up play is patient to open these channels, as we've said before. And then once, you know, a channel, a position opens up, they have the game intelligence to make the run, the movement into these channels. And that through a direct pass or a direct run, these forwards can now suddenly find themselves in the right positions to not just shoot, but score with the regularity they have shown over the last couple of seasons as the attack is centred around the f- this front three tandem, whatever way it positions itself, whatever way it appears in the game. But like for every great attack, for every great creative player, there always has to be, you know, someone willing to do a little bit of dirty work behind. And, you know, for a lot of people, we may be familiar with the name Martin Darun. Martin Darun had, you know, a stint with Middlesbrough in their most recent Premier League season, but has returned to Atalanta and has really established himself as one, as a really outstanding midfielder with Atalanta. A silent assassin, as some people refer to him as, in front of the back line, he is full of energy and willing to shield the defence, break up the play and play to his strengths within this system. 
So it really kind of shows the levels that this Atlantis system kind of can go to. And the levels that Gasparini and his coaches and the players can be can like they can be brought to and pushed to and get everybody working together to achieving. That unfavoured players elsewhere can come together and with the discipline they've shown reach the standards they have. And that's something we can all do in football manager. We can all find transfer lists of players, players not playing with regularity. And find value with them. Give them a new home. Give them the chance to flourish. And if they move on, they move on. There'll always be more players out there who we can use to evolve the way we play. So how can we go on from you know all this information from what we've seen with Atalanta? You know, tactically, the system is very, very adaptable to football manager. And the assistant could be one an enjoyable one to bring to life in the game. Fabio Capello spoke of the system. He said it's not just Juventus who are in difficulty in European competition. It is Italian football that is in its difficulty. Speaking about the fact that you know, Italian teams have struggled in recent seasons in European competition. No Italian side, you know, has um reached the latter stages of these competitions, and we've got to ask why. And it is because we don't play with an intense rhythm. Because the referees blow too many fouls. And the game is too interrupted. Because we don't play with the same pace and aggression they do in other countries. Ajax play a very fast, high quality game. They're good to watch. In Italy, you could compare them to Atalanta. The side that does not let you play. Doesn't let you breathe. Which defends in numbers. And which attacks in numbers. And does not play a lot through the goalkeeper. I always say that if the goalkeeper gets in the ball 30 times in a game. But a striker only gets the ball 10 times. Well then something is wrong. That's a direct quote from Fabio Capello. So even Capello is publicly in the media lauding this Atalanta style. And has identified that it is this intensity. Fast high quality game. That has you know given them. The success they've had in Europe. And they're some a model that everyone should follow in Italy. Because like let's be honest, this Atlanta success, they hold a beacon for, you know, the smaller inverted commas teams. They hold no respect for reputation. Just the opposition they face on the pitch. Not the badge they represent. They seek to impose themselves. Not always successfully. Regardless of who this opponent is. They may not always succeed. But it's certainly fun to watch them try. They embody the organisation of Italian football. When they attack. They attack with a handbrake off. They have a clear picture. Of the players they want at their club. The attributes. The characteristics. Everything. They have a clear picture of who they want at their club. They're open and willing to develop from within, allowing them to imprint their style on these impressionable young players. So that when they come through to the first team, they're ready to give them the opportunity. They already know the style and what's expected of them. And this can only help them settle into the first team squad much better. 
They seek experience through signing veteran players who will fit their system and offer the leadership and maturity on the pitch that a younger squad needs. You can't win everything with kids. Can't win anything with kids, right? But the other thing with Atlanta is they're also willing to allow players leave. Recently, we saw Seaman Kiar make a failed move to the club, despite the fact he came in with Champions League experience. And I suppose the big name one at the minute is doing the, the big transfer story doing the rounds in terms of Atlanta is Dejan Kulusevski. So Dejan Kulusevski was signed from Swedish club Brahma Pekjarna, who are known as a very, very, very good producer of young football players from Sweden. And after coming down to Atalanta, Gasparini was unsure of Kulusevski's you know, ability to fit into the culture, the Atalanta way, I suppose. After three substitute appearances, he moved to uh, Parma on loan. And such was the, the impressiveness of his time at uh, Parma on loan. Juve have bought Kulusevski from Atalanta. It's a fee that is 35 million euros initially, potentially rising to 44 million euros. So last week I spoke about transfer policies, transfer negotiations, working out all that stuff. Look no further than Atalanta. We came to give significant value for some of these players that, you know, may not really kind of have value for you. Can have value to others and getting the money as well out of it too. But the goal for any FM player staying with a smaller club is always to rise into the upper echelons of the leagues and the upper echelons of continental clubs as well. And Atlanta are doing this successfully. With all the talk of the European Super League, led by Juventus on Andrea Agnelli, comments like the following show just how much Atalanta have upset the apple cart of these bigger clubs. I have great respect for everything that Atalanta are doing. Without international history, thanks to just one great season, we had direct access into the, into the primary European club competition. Is that right? Or not. Agnelli told the FT Business of Football Summit in London per goal. Then I think of Roma, who contributed in recent years to maintaining Italy's ranking. They had one bad season and are out, with all the consequent damage to them financially. Now, obviously, if you're a traditionalist, you want or a Roma fan, that hurts. If you want a former European Super League with the best teams, Atlanta won't be there. Look at them. Look at them go. Look at the plaudits they're getting. And look how much they're upsetting. You know, their rivals. But I suppose if you look at the Italian league table right now, you'd see how well Lazio were doing this season before the suspension. And some are claiming that this Lazio team are punching above their weight. Then, Ledea that's the goddess, one of Atalanta's nicknames. If you see the press, you'll, you'll see it there. But if if they're if Lazio are punching above their weight, and you see Atalanta just behind them at the table, then you know. Suppose that the comparison we made here is that uh, this Atalanta team is just like Buster Douglas beating a peak Mike Tyson in Japan in 1990. This is just how astonishing and astounding the levels of success and the. And I suppose the way 
at which they are exceeding expectations. That's just how big it is. It's phenomenal. Whether the success will continue should Gasparini leave, as he's been linked with the AC Milan job. And I suppose you'd ask there, could, can, if he was to go to AC Milan, could he bring the success of Atlanta with him? We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Will Atlanta continue without him? Will he continue without Atlanta? It's all up in the air. It's hypothetical. No one knows for certain. But how they've gone about their business is certainly a model which the average FM player can follow. Have a clear image of how you will play. And be brave. Football manager rewards the brave. So be brave. Try to disrupt the opposition. Don't adapt their style. Don't adapt your style. Success isn't guaranteed. But stick to your philosophy. Stick to your guns. And as Paco Jimenez says, die by your sword. And don't be afraid to sell players. Last week's pod, I also blogged about because the audio quality was that bad. But don't be afraid to sell players. Don't be afraid to negotiate. Make sure you get your money out. Because you know exactly the characteristics you want in your potential signings. In future signings. You know what you want. So go and find them. There's not just one player in the world who can fit into that system. There's not just one player in the world who can make you great. And then the last post element is you know, the emphasis on youth development. We all love doing it, football manager, bringing through young players. And as well, signing these, you know, aging veterans. Approaching the, the golden, the twilight years of their careers. To give you that perfect balance of mentalities, attitudes and energy. To create a cohesive culture, both on and off the pitch. And just before we, I suppose, finish up here. You know, I want to get a few little housekeeping things just to take care of. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why not leave a positive review? Share on your socials with your followers, whatever works for you. All that support is greatly appreciated, and thank you very much for it. If you're able to, you know, like, review, share the pod, and of course, check out the Technical Areas website. So the WordPress link you'll find should be linked down below in the podcast notes. If you want to get in touch on Twitter, the, the links are down below. That's where I'm most active. The hashtag we're the community, the interactions I get, uh, they form a vital part of the pods that don't have features like this. But you know, some people did get involved, and that was great. So thank you for those who did get involved. You know, these interactions are vital to the podcast. They give it an extra voice. So whether it's your vote on a poll, uh, a reply, a comment, even sending in questions, whatever it is, please keep them coming. It keeps the pod going, gives it new voices, new aspects, plenty of new places to think. Last couple of weeks I spoke about the FM book club that I was trying to start and steal the idea from Cleon T and Busquets website that was once on the go. Uh, the first book view goes up on the site today. That's Friday, April 24th. As I try to launch the hashtag FM Book Club. So and I'll be using that hashtag on Twitter. All submissions and recommendations are welcome to, to join the first book going up there. Books will be linked to an Amazon link um, with each review. Through an affiliate link that I kind of have that I use. It's uh, smile.amazon.co.uk. So when you put smile in front of Amazon.co.uk, you're able to select a charity and basically a contribution from your purchase will be made to the charity you've chosen. So for me, my one I've chosen is um, Alzheimer's, an Alzheimer's charity. 
But of course, finding whatever charity works for you, whatever charity is closest to your heart, that's, you know, I suppose one of the, the great things about this Smile link. So if you are shopping on Amazon, whether it's for books or anything else, put Smile in front and you can link, link it up to your Amazon account so that that's why you'll always go there as well. Uh, speaking of supporting others, Jim G's t-shirt campaign is about one week to go. So if you haven't already gotten involved, and you can, please do get involved and support, you know, what, what Jim is trying to do there. And, you know, if you want to be like me, join the, the Sweeper Keeper Club. That, that That's the one I chose, though. Uh, I just wish I'd gotten that, that mango coloured one. I don't know if it really suits my colouring or like that, but I just thought there was a black one when I bought mine. So if you can get the mango one, enjoy. And then, I suppose, just as for say goodbye, that the music for this podcast came from Pond5. And the link to that will be found down below. But this has been episode 22 of the Technical Area. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening, if you're still listening. Episode 23 will be out next week. Don't know what the topic is just yet. But keep an eye on the polls, keep an eye on the socials. Get involved, and if you have a topic you want me to cover, send it in. Get involved. Everyone is welcome. Until next week. Stay safe, enjoy the FME, and I'll talk to you then. Bye now. And then, just one final note. All links to the websites that I use to get the information for this podcast will be found in the link below. If you want to go and read them for yourselves and maybe find, you know, more information, some aspects that I left out, if you wish to enjoy. So, again, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.